Well, what are we going to do now? We've got a risen Savior on our hands. Remember back when Jesus was nice and he was just teaching good things? And we could kind of listen to him and decide to try to be good people? And then he said, none of that counts. And then he said, I'm going to die on a cross for you. Remember that? Anybody remember that? And you remember how on Friday he died on the cross? Anybody remember that? So that the sins of the world could be forgiven for all who call on his name. Does anybody know that? Does anybody know that he was dead? That he laid in a tomb? And does anybody know that he rose from the grave? What are we going to do now? Now we have a problem. He's not just like every other religious figure in history we can kind of listen to and give some thought to. Now we have a problem on our hands, right? He's up. He's up. That creates a problem. We can't just believe in him anymore because he's up. And that's real. I love Easter because there are two kinds of people here this morning. There are those of you who couldn't wait to get here. You're so excited because it's the resurrection day. It's the day that we sing and shout and stomp the resurrection. And then there were the others who are here against your will. Because it's Easter. And you said, okay, Mom, I'll go to your stupid church. I got news for all of you. Jesus Christ is alive, and you have a problem. You have a problem. Because you have to decide what to do with the leftovers. How many of you are sensing a filling of the Lord this morning as we worshiped him? Now you have a problem. What are you going to do with the overflow, right? What are you going to do with the leftovers? Some of you today, are, you're going off to family dinners where grandma or mom or somebody has made a nice ham and you've got the deviled eggs. I love how we just really stick it to the devil. We have angel food cake and deviled eggs. And some of you are going to that place, and you're going to sit and eat beyond your capacity. Yeah? And then you're going to say, why do I eat all that? But there's still going to be leftovers. What are you going to do with the leftovers? What are you going to do? Hmm. Some of you have words for leftovers. At our house, we call them muscos. What are we having tonight? Muscos. That means that everything's piling up in the refrigerator. Must go. What are you going to do with your Easter muscos? Because they have to go. You have to understand this. They have to go. You can't keep it. Same question comes to us this morning, but it's a much bigger issue. Jesus Christ rose from the dead in John eleven twenty five. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Screen. Boom. Bam. There it is. Didn't I tell you? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. He who lives and believes in me will never die. You now, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you're surrendered to Christ as your Lord, you now have more life than you know what to do with. You now have more life than you need, and you've got to figure out what to do with the rest. Don't spoil it. You want to preach? Come on. No, sit down. Jesus said in John 10.10, screen, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came 
He rose again to give you life. What, what kind of life? Eternal life. How much life? Abundant life. Now you've got to figure out what to do with the rest. You don't need all the life that Jesus rose again to give you. What are you going to do with the leftovers? Hush. John 7, 38, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. How many of you know that? Something's different now, isn't it? There's somebody in there. You thought it was going to be a simple exchange of, I'll receive Jesus as my Savior, I'll pray that prayer from my heart, and then I won't have to worry about dying. I won't have to worry about heaven or hell anymore. I'll know that Jesus has secured my place in heaven. And you thought it was going to be a simple thing, right? And then he came in. That Jesus actually answered your prayer when you said, remember, I ask you into my heart as my Savior. And you thought it was going to be a gentle thing, and he comes in, I'm taking over. Everything's changed now. I'm going to give you more life than you need. More life than we need to live. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families with five loaves and two fish. That was a cool day, yeah? What happened after? Does anybody know? They, they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftover. 12 baskets full of leftover they picked up. Because that's how Jesus works. He always gives us abundantly. And then we've got to figure out what are we going to do with the leftovers? What are you going to do with Easter leftovers? Well, a couple things you need to know when it comes to Jesus. You're not allowed to save it. Anybody read Exodus chapter 16? The Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness, and they're all hungry, and they cry out to God, and what does he do? He sends them what? Manna. Falls down from heaven. His instructions are simple. Just pick up what you need for the day, because it'll be there again tomorrow. Most people did that. But some people didn't said, I don't know if I trust this thing. I think we better get all we can. Here, I see an opportunity here. What if tomorrow it doesn't come and I'll have a whole bunch left? I'll be in the selling position. And so they hoarded it for themselves. Anybody know what happened? What happened? It's full of maggots. You can't save what God gives you. Hoarding is no part of the plan of God. You, won't, you don't need the extra. You only need what fills you, and what overflows is for something else. Besides, according to the plan of God, you'll have new tomorrow. In the book of Lamentations, it says that the mercies of God are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Every day. It's a fresh day to say, how are you going to overflow in me today, Lord? And what are you going to do with the rest over? With the leftovers? Well, as Dennis has been telling us over here, here's what you do with the leftovers with Jesus. You give it away as fast as you can. You cannot give it away faster than what the Lord will refill you. In fact... The faster you give it away, the greater your vessel becomes for receiving the Spirit of God and experiencing the presence of God. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. 
For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So give it away. You don't really need a refrigerator with Jesus. Just give it away. The faster you give it away, the deeper your well becomes. This is the principle of God in the Scriptures. There are many, many ways to give it away. Many. You're always surrounded with ways to give away what God has given to you. To, to let the overflow fall on others. How many of you prayed the loop on Friday? Oh, that's awesome. That was crazy, wasn't it? Prayed the loop. This crazy idea that on the hour, every hour for Good Friday, a car leaves here with people in it to go around the 270 loop and just worship God and pray for their city. What a crazy, simple idea. How many of you experienced God out on the loop? I know, me too. Man, we came to this one place, and I was in the back seat, and I was just flooded with the anointing of the Lord. Then I had a problem, didn't I? I got to find somebody to give it away to. It was awesome because Karen and I had already planned to go see a number of our people who are shut in and unable to come out, and so we just carried communion to them in their homes and in their nursing home. And we were had a profound, another profound encounter, kneeling by the bedside of one of our very sick men. I thought I was going there to give it away, and I got more. Man. So you get the rest. Take it from me. There are opportunities all around us to give away what the Lord has given us. Such a special thanks to those of you guys who went out and prayed the loop, particularly those of you who were drivers because you were signed up. You couldn't change your mind, right? Thank you for coming at all hours of the day and night and doing that. You've got to give it away. You've got to look for opportunities to give it away. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And what did he do with this resurrection life? He gave it to you. Now what are you going to do? You're looking for opportunity to, to give it away. One of the guys in our church, dear friend and brother of ours, of mine in particular, called me on Friday and he told me this story. And he said his job sent him to a certain place. That's what his job does. It sends him to certain places to do a certain thing. And he went there, and uh, it was a, an establishment that was run by Muslims. And he said he, he knew it, and he, he knew it right away, and that he had, he had been praying a prayer, God, would you soften my heart toward Muslim people? Don't let me get caught up in this hatred thing. And just so, so, Maybe I'm putting words in his mouth there, but keep my heart soft. And so he walks in there, and there's this kind of, exchange, exchange, but he said, I just kept looking at them, and I kept making eye contact with them as I did my thing. And finally, there was a song that was playing on the radio, some other language. And so he asked him, he said, can you, can you tell me what that song is? Oh, yes, he said, I'll tell you what that song is. That's a song about Joseph. Which Joseph? The Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. Wow. A slow pitch came to this guy. And he's like, uh, oh, you know about Joseph? And one thing led to another, and he finally said, 
do you know for sure that if you die, you'll go to heaven? He goes, no, no man knows that. He said, I, are you sure? Not even Muhammad knew that? He said, no, not even Muhammad knew whether he would go to heaven or not. And here's what he said to me. He said, you mean your main guy, you didn't even know if he was going to heaven? And on he went. And he said, what if I could tell you about someone who could cover that for you? What if I could tell you about somebody who conquered death? He said, do you know what today is for me? The guy says, no. He says, it's Good Friday. It's the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and for you. Is that giving it away? There's so many more details of that story that I'd love to tell you. There's somebody in the world somewhere right now waiting to receive from your overflow. You might be asking yourself the question, but what if I don't feel like I have an overflow? What if, what if I don't really have anything that I feel like is going on? What if, I, what if I really am not experiencing God to be able to give anything away? Well, I think it's very likely that there are people here today, maybe lots of you, only you would know. I can't tell by looking at you. Who would say, uh, I can't say with certainty that I am experiencing God. What are, you, what are you even talking about? Well, let's say a couple things. First of all, I, I think that the Bible says that we all have the same capacity to experience God. In, in, in Acts chapter 2, it, they said that it was a fulfillment of a prophecy of Joel when the Holy Spirit came out on all those guys. They said that was the fulfillment of a prophecy of Joel in the Old Testament where it says at that time when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, that it's God pouring his Spirit out on all flesh. So if you're going to try to make yourself an exception and saying, well, I don't think I'm ever really going to experience God, you're really just arguing against what the Bible says. So we all have, I think, exactly the same capacity to experience God. What's different about us, though, is our appetite for experience with God, right? It seems like uh, we have different kinds of dis- levels of desire to experience God. And, and I really do respect that in you. I mean, there are, are some people who say, you know, I know for sure that I'm saved by the grace of God. And that's my, my experience. And I'm good with that. And if, you're, if you are good with that, then I respect that. Because that's, for whatever reason, that is your appetite. Um, I'm a person who needs constant reassurance, I guess. Because I eat a meal, and then I am hungry for God the next minute. And that's just a bigger appetite. So it doesn't make one better than the other. It just means we're different, right? It's okay. It's cool. Um, But what I want to say to you, I want to kind of contextualize this whole part with this, that if you're cool with where you are in your experience with God, then, then go ahead and tune me out. But if you're not cool, if you're saying, all right, I'm not really experiencing God the way I, my appetite is telling me, then listen, okay? Those of you who are tuning out, try not to talk. So what if I'm not? Well, I have some diagnostic questions for you. Let's see if we can find out why you can't experience, are not experiencing God, as you say, not me. 
My first question is, have you personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? It all begins there. Not believing about the story, but entering into the story and inviting Jesus Christ into your life. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, meaning Jesus, to those who believed in his name, who received him, it says, he gave the right to become the children of God. So it all begins there. And really only you know where you are with respect to that. Only you would know. I, can't, I wish I could look at you and go, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Come here. Out, people, come here. I want to talk to you. I, I, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But you know. Have you come to the place of genuinely repenting of your sins and asking Jesus Christ to come in and to be your Savior? It all begins there. You will not experience God until you encounter his saving grace in that way. The second question is, are you fully surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord? Are you surrendered to him as Lord? This is, the, this is the really the beginning of the walk of discipleship, of saying, you're my Lord. And not just saying it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So the lordship of Jesus is one where you're entering in to surrender to his will, surrender to his word, and it's a process, all right? Dennis over here is the only one who's done it perfectly since the day he was saved, okay? He's the only guy I know anywhere who has done that. Right, Sally? Oh, yeah, she says. It's a process, But it begins with a defining moment when you say, I want you to be my Lord. I want to surrender every dimension of my life. And then you'll begin to experience him. The third question is, are you diligently seeking God in the word and prayer? (laughs) You know, it's not just about, okay, you're my Lord. See ya. Now go after him. And diligently go after him in the word and in prayer. It's in you to do that. You know how to do that. The book of Hebrews says that whoever, whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. The reward is what? It's God. The reward is, I'm not making any promises that you're going to get a new car, a new house, or a new wife. I'm just saying, that's not the reward. Don't believe that lie. That's not even the reward you want. The reward you want is the experience, the encounter with God the Father. Diligently seek Him. Word in prayer. Another diagnostic question is, are you authentically worshiping God from your heart? This is the basis of our experience with God, is entering into worship. Now, some of us are demonstrative, short-fused kind of worshipers. Others of you are more contemplative, thoughtful worshipers. That's fine. I don't judge a book by the cover. But the question is for you to answer for yourself, not to me, is are you authentically worshiping God from your heart? When you release worship, John, you know what I'm talking about. When you release worship, you experience God. Were you paying attention? Okay. That's why I called on you. Okay. Just checking. But am I right, John? When you, (laughs) what? (laughs) No, he says totally. He's up here totally agreeing. You worship God, and when you do, you experience Him. 
deliver the contents of your heart. We probably worship differently. I've never really watched you, but I'm too busy worshiping myself. Not worshiping myself, but worshiping. (laughs) Ran out of spit, honey. You know, Jesus said that the kind of worshipers that God is seeking are those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So this, you know, if you think about the central dynamic of Christian worship, I mean, the central dynamic of Christian worship really is the Lord's Supper. And do you see, do you see, I mean, Jesus set it up that way, and do you see how experiential that is at its core? You can't take the Lord's Supper without experiencing at least taste. I think the Lord's saying something to us. He said, I want you to experience me in worship. Fifth diagnostic question, are you genuinely connected to brothers and sisters in Christ? Some people, they get going around this thing and they're like, "Ah, I can do this on my own, but that's not the will of God. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. How many, don't raise your hand, how many of you noticed how cold you can become when you isolate? When you fall for the lie. How many of you notice uh, how easy it is to rationalize sin behavior in your life when you isolate? And how many of you notice how cold your experience with God becomes when you isolate? You know, I know where you're coming from. I don't like these people either. I'm just saying. But as it turns out, you don't get to pick your family. We belong to each other. I think the last diagnostic question is, are you risking yourself in service to the king? Are you, ris- are you, are you, are you playing it safe? Or, you know, something, Jesus is always right outside my comfort zone. How many of you know what I mean? He's like, I could go here, Lord, but yeah, he says, but I'm here. In Luke chapter 10 Jesus sent his disciples out, and he said, okay, you've been watching me heal the sick and drive out demons and stuff. Now you guys go and do it. They had a decision to make, right? What decision did they make? They went. In verse 17, what does it say they said when they came back? Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They came back and said, it works. They had experience because they risked it. And then I, I just like for you to notice that there's a cyclical nature to this, really. If you go all the way around this thing and you're still not experiencing God, I think you need to ask yourself the top blue question. I think you'll find something there. These are the diagnostic questions you need to ask yourself if you say, I'm really not experiencing God to the level that I want to. But some of you are like, I'm in. I get it. Maybe you were helped by what was just put up there so you have a kind of a grid to think about because things do grow cool every now and then don't they maybe you can look up there and go well that's where i went wrong but in reality many of you are already filled with the spirit you're filled with the power of god and you need to know what to do now with this resurrection power that jesus rose to give us what are you going to do i recommend you consider doing one of three things number one 
If you are not a Christian, I recommend that you receive Jesus Christ as Savior of your life today. I recommend that you open your heart not to a belief in the story of the gospel, but to open your heart so that you can enter into the story of the gospel and you can receive personally Jesus Christ into your life. This is step one. I recommend that you find maybe what's broken in the loop if you're not experiencing God. Maybe there's something up there that says, you know, I think that's what's wrong. And I can't tell, but only you would know. And then the third thing I'd really ask you to do is to joyfully give away the overflow. To get filled up and overflow. Empty yourself out and then run to wherever you need to run to to be with Jesus again so that you can be refilled. This is the nature of the resurrected life. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's given you life, and now you have something to give away. Every single one of you has something to give away in the power of the Spirit, and there's somebody in the world waiting for you to be that person. Those guys in that store were waiting for our guy to show up with the gospel, and he gave it away. Every single one of you has something to give away, and there's somebody, no matter how young or old you are, you have it to give away, and there's somebody waiting for you to give it to them. I want to close with this story. It's from a book called Jesus Freaks. It's a book you don't want to read if you like where you are. It's a book about, it's a combination of Simple things that have been done in Jesus' name that have profoundly changed the world, and it's a combination also of people who have willingly given their lives for Jesus Christ. Kayleen sat in the service that night with her heart welling inside her with a desire to help, to do something, to make a difference for these people the pastor was telling her about. But what could a 13-year-old girl do? What does she have to give that would make a difference? Kayleen felt helpless against this growing burden inside of her. She was used to praying with her family for those persecuted in other countries and had even prayed for one young man, one young man by name whom they had heard about from Sudan, a boy by the name of James Jada who had been tortured with fire because he refused to convert to Islam after they had killed his parents and siblings. Still, the more the preacher spoke, the more Kayleen wanted to act. But what could she do? The pastor continued to talk about the plight of the families in Sudan and what life was like for them. There were fathers and mothers there in their, home, in their late 30s who had never known a time when their country, even their own village, was not being torn apart because of civil war that had been raging there since the early 1960s. Children have had to dig foxholes outside of their classrooms to hide in as their schools are often targets of bombing raids, as are the hospitals and churches. Though approximately half of Sudan is in the Sahara, the temperatures there, especially in the Nuba Mountains, where the fighting is the most intense, can get below freezing at night, 
and due to the lack of blankets, constant exposure to such conditions often means poor health and little sleep while shivering through the night. Yet as always in times of war and persecution, what the Sudanese were the most hungry for was God. Because of the war, many missionary groups in their other countries had stopped sending people to Sudan due to the danger, and Bibles and other Christian literature were in short supply. Suddenly, Kayleen felt a tug of hope in her heart. She looked suddenly at the Bible she held in her hands with all the doodles and notes she had made in it since she had received it as a Christmas present some three years earlier. She clutched it with her chest as the minister continued to speak. When she heard that a family friend was going to Sudan with Voice of Martyr workers, she sent the Bible's Bible with him. Please give it to somebody special, she told his, her friend. When this friend arrived in Sudan with Kayleen's Bible, Among many other provisions the team had brought with them, his heart went out to all those he met. Yet as the days of their visit were coming to a close, he felt a special attachment to one young man who bore the scars of being thrown into a fire when a Muslim raiding party had killed his family. He was now living with his grandmother and was attending school, hoping to grow up to be a teacher. The missionary gave this young man... Kayleen's Bible with some special words of encouragement. The young man's name was James Jada. You got something to give. You have something to give. The dynamic of the relationship with Jesus Christ is that he would fill you to abundance so that you could freely give. You got something to give. You may be rich, you may be poor, doesn't matter. You may be educated, you may not be, doesn't matter. You may be young, you may be old. You're neither too young nor too old to give what God has given you to give. Your life can change this morning. Your life can completely pivot on this moment. Dennis and Sally, I am going to ask you to stand over by that door, if you will. I didn't know this till right now, but I know them to be people who can clearly help anyone who would like to become a Christian to do that. So if you're here this morning and you're going, I want that, I want to come into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And while we're singing here in just a moment, I'd like for you to go over to them. And I'd like for you, they'll know why you're there. That's the only reason you'd go. There might be one, there might be 30, I don't know. But they can handle all of you. They'll help you pray. And they'll give you a Bible. They'll give you a Bible so that you can get started on your walk with Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life. Your whole life can change today. It can change. It can hinge. It can pivot around this moment. Those of you who have grown cold, only you know, can pivot around this moment. You can 
pivot around this moment. For those of you who are filled with the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, show me what's next. Pivot around this moment. So I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord from your heart, whatever that is. Whatever that is, just respond to the Lord from your heart. If you're new to the vineyard, you may not know that you're always welcome in the vineyard to come up here and pray if that's meaningful to you or come all the way up to the cross and pray. We, we don't have very many rules around here, so if it's in your heart to do it, I want you to follow that story. Church, we stand with you.